This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Draft Deeper. Part of the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Yeah, if you're listening to Draft Deeper, you've been a veteran fan of the program. That sounds a little different, right? We're no we're no longer on the Draft Deeper podcast feed. This is we're breaking ground. This is episode one on the No Ceilings NBA feed. If you've missed the big news and you've been under a little bit of a rock, we've all come together under one feed to make sure that we're providing you timely daily podcast content in one place. So it's much easier for you to find all the No Ceilings content as a fan. So I'm really excited about this move. The good news is nothing else is changing about the show other than where you can find it. You're still getting me. My producer, Kevin Black, is still along for the ride. Maxwell Baumbach is obviously still here. And Stephen Gillespie, this man's ready to rock and roll. He's coming off of a work promotion. He's riding high. I'm fresh off of a trip down to Atlanta seeing the Overtime Elite program. Steven's going to be out there next week. Maxwell's joining us after what he said was a long day for him, but that nevertheless, talking about basketball also always gets us jazzed up. So, boys, ready to rock and roll tonight. Maxwell, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. I'm so excited to talk about these guys. Sleepers, like, this is this is home to me. They, oh, this is your the, podcast. This I, is your time to shine, baby. Yeah, I cannot be more excited to dig into some of these guys. There's some little nuances a couple of them need to clean up, but overall, just a really exciting group. And I'd be really surprised if a couple of these guys don't really end up popping and ending up, you know, among top 60s, among the consensus of people that really follow the draft by the time the draft is here next year. As Maxwell just alluded to, this is, this is sicko Terry. This is draft mm-hmm. sicko territory. This is Top sleepers is how we've dubbed some of these guys for tonight's podcast, Stephen. I know that we've usually uh, used the term draft sicko to talk about Maxwell, but I got to be honest, buddy, you were really digging into a lot of film this summer when when you were back and ready to rock and roll to prep for 2023. So I think you're going to be right at home on this podcast too. And I know for a fact, you're a big fan of some of these guys at the very least on this side. I think you like the majority of them, but you're a big fan of some of these guys on this list. How, how are you doing, buddy? You ready to break down some of these names tonight? Well, yeah. And so for the, for the listeners, you're probably hearing my voice is a little hoarse. Uh, Nathan mentioned I got a work promotion. A lot of that had to do with me talking and yelling really loudly. So um, <laughs> I, I'm not sick, but I am a draft sicko and uh, I am very much so excited to be a part of this episode. And, Working with Maxwell, man, has really just like ignited a passion about like, I don't care to talk about Scoot Henderson or Victor Wimbanyama. Like, (laughs) I'll leave that to everybody else, man. I want to talk about these guys in particular. They're so much more fun because you feel better when these guys hit. Like, you know that some of the big guys are going to do great things and get drafted and stuff like that. But when you leave no stone unturned, right, Maxwell, Mm -hmm. and you start looking at some of these other names and they hit. Like you feel good. I was big on Santi Aldama 
in his draft. And what are we looking at now? And like, he's, he's one of those sleeper prospects that I hit on. So I, I have an affinity for these guys. I'm excited to be on the show tonight, fellas. And that's really, that, that's why we're draft deeper, right? That's why we're living up to the moniker of making sure that we talk about everybody, not just the big names. Now, obviously, as this podcast goes on throughout the year, we wanted to be on Monday mornings. We wanted to be the first show in the rotation because Maxwell, Steven, and I, we kind of all write different weekly recap uh, things for no ceilings, right, in our own respective ways. So we kind of wanted to bring that content together and make sure that we're leading the week off for you as the audience with what happened last week. What are the big storylines we're following? Where are some of the sleeper prospects kind of boiling up? Where, where, where's the boiling point for some of these guys who not everybody's talking about yet, but all of a sudden they're, they're going off for their respective teams and we have to bring them to light as legitimate draft prospects. We want to bring you all the headlines, all the storylines. So that's what, that's the type of content you'll be getting from this episode in the feed once the season kicks off. But for now, we're still going through our 2023 NBA draft preview. So if you haven't listened to any of the prior episodes, they're not going anywhere, right? You, you can still find them on the previous draft deeper feed, but now moving forward, we're over here. We're, we're cooking with gas on those ceilings, baby. So let's, yes, let's get this podcast kicked off. Let's run through some of these names. And as I said, Maxwell, this is, this is your time to shine. This is your <laughs> yeah. show. I want you and Steven to be passionate about some of these guys tonight and really introduce yourselves more so to the, the No Ceilings NBA show audience. I know you guys joined the collective last year um, to sort of in the middle of the season. So you guest, episode, guest hosted on some of these episodes. Like I know, Steven, you were on on the draft deck and Maxwell, you were doing stuff with Corey and Albert as well as with uh, the Tylers for a few episodes, but this is a great introduction for you guys to show people we're not just the Victor and Scoot show and no ceilings. We go much deeper than that. So Maxwell, you wrote about the first player we're going to talk about tonight. Tucker DeVries out of Drake, the six foot seven, 210 pound guard played in 36 games last year, started in 29 of those games, 29.8 minutes per game, 13.9 points per game, 4.6 rebounds and 2.1 assists in a first year campaign shot 42 percent from the field 34 percent from three-point range and 77 and a half percent from the free throw line one steal a game 1.4 turnovers per game a 20.7 per that's pretty good and a near 54 percent true shooting percentage so with some of these guys we're going to bounce around give some evaluations and then similar to what we did last week We'll talk about what's one thing that we really want to see from these guys in terms of how they can really pop into more major draft discussions around social media. But Maxwell, you you have to give the audience the the Tucker DeVries evaluation. So who is he? Yeah. What can people expect from him when they pop on his film for the first time? So Tucker DeVries is where the modern NBA is headed as far as guys that either start and play that fourth and fifth starter role or are your key contributors off your bench. He is tailor-made to be an NBA role player, a high-level NBA role player. Um, The first thing I think that needs explaining with Tucker DeVries is he is big, he has very high feel, and he defends extremely well within a team concept. Uh, So he is 6'7", 2'10". He ran a lot of pick and roll for Drake last season. Uh, And when he does, he gets low with his dribble. 
He can sling one-handed passes. Uh, he's good with his offhand, his left hand. He's as comfortable dribbling with it as his right hand. Uh, and he likes to go left quite a bit, actually. And I think it's one of those things where he likes it because he can counter back to that right uh, if it ever gets taken away from him. Uh, very pure shooter. Um, the, to the three-point percentage, let's start with that. The biggest thing that's going to have to just uptick with him is his overall efficiency. Um, but I think he's a way better shooter than people realize. So he was 34% from three last season, but he took 6.1 per game. Uh, so he is launching when he's out there. And a lot of them are from way behind the three-point line. Uh, he is taking deep, deep threes from oh, NBA yeah. range. He's hitting them. He's hitting them off of movement, off of screens. Uh, he is a true, true shooter. I have no doubt that we're going to see that three-point percentage go up this season. Um, and then the last thing is just defensively. He's hyper-aware on the floor at all times. His level of just feel and competitiveness, he's, he's always in the game. He's never going to get back cut. He's not going to lose his man trying to chase a, a steal or a block. Um, and it's, it's interesting. When I talked to his dad, who's Drake's head coach uh, for his piece. I, I wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to go interview this guy's dad. I talked to him because he's the head coach at Drake. Uh, but when I talked to him, he said like his favorite thing about his son as a player is the way he competes. Like there's just no place being taken off on the defensive end. And it kind of covers for some of his deficiencies a little bit. He's fantastic off the ball. On the ball is where he has work to do. So that's, um, that's one of my questions though. When, yeah. when we talk about things that, that I want to see, like, I, I understand it, it's not the most important part of his game, but what position is he best to defend at the next level? Like I know he's a six, seven guard. He isn't mm-hmm. built pretty big. And I know that you talked about in your writing, some improvements you want to see on the body. I'm sure you're going to get into yeah, that in yeah, a second, yeah. but what, what position do you think he's best to defend? Cause normally that's how we categorize positions in the NBA. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, your, your role within the offense, it's who can you guard really defines your position. Yeah. I think fours is who I would feel best with him guarding right now. Cause he's pretty strong. Like he's, he's strong around the basket and he's just not very quick. Um, and that to be fair, like, again, his coach saying that that's the biggest thing that he's worked on is his body and he's going to have a completely different look this season. That remains to be seen. He looks better in the social media posts, whatever, but you know, we got to see it on the court. Um, but yeah, I think for now he's a guy who guards fours. I think so. The the comparison a lot of people make is Jake Laravia, and I think where that falls apart to me is the on ball defense. Like I felt much yeah. better about Jake as an on ball defender. I feel better about Tucker as far as his handle and like actually like driving to the basket with the ball. Um, I think to me the Tucker comparison is Vince Williams Jr. Like he's a guy that. who uses opponents leverage against them gets to the rim in the face of closeouts, really smart player on the ball is like where he really needs to like loosen up, like in just in terms of his hips, like Vince Williams also kind of stiff through his hips, doesn't react that well when guys turn the corner on him. And that to me is the big thing. Like, I think he could do okay on a, like an NBA four for now. I think if he does get quicker and a little more fluid, he should be a guy who can guard threes and fours. Steven, that must be music to your ears. When you hear Maxwell use the name Vince Williams Jr., for as much as he was on that bandwagon, you were also very much driving that bandwagon. So do you see some of that comparison in Tucker's game? And for that reason, maybe that reason alone, maybe for other reasons, are you hopping on the Tuck train with Maxwell? Yeah, I'm I'm in on Tuck, man. I, I, I love him. I have a second round grade on him already. And I just want to see what he did in the offseason to improve his game. You know, Maxwell did a great job of talking about 
his competitiveness on the defensive end. I, I have here in my notes that he has active hands on defense and he gets into a really good stance too. Mm-hmm. Um, offensively, uh, it, word for word in my notes, Maxwell is like, he can drive left comfortably. So yeah. I love yeah. listening to you break that down in your analysis. And then it, the movement shooting is just, that's going to be his mill ticket to getting minutes early in the NBA is that he could be a reliable space to floor shooter, but it's that ancillary playmaking that he can bring to the table a la Vince Williams Jr. for his position, too, was one of the best playmaking forwards in all of college basketball last year. I think that Tuck can, can do a lot of the same things. And Maxwell talked about, like, the NBA range on his three-point shot and the consistency. Those are some of my my concerns, right, is the shot selection. Because he is asked to do so much, like, how much do we, you know, ding him for taking what we would – ultimately consider bad is, shots is that why you really... think the is that why you think the percentage is just under 42 percent? it's just more of the shot selection not necessarily the the touch or, or or the strength or any of those other things absolutely you know he's he's asked to do so much for his team and he's really the only offensive engine that could be trusted to get his own shot because of his ability and his size combination and then Maxwell touched on it too he's not what I would consider a plus athlete I don't know if I would consider him a minus athlete necessarily, but he he's not blowing anyone away in that mm-hmm. department. So how much strength did he add? How much you know quickness is he able to get by being in better shape? Like those are things that I'm looking at. And if he starts checking some of those boxes, like this could be an early second, late first round type of talent. I wouldn't be surprised about that at all. No, I, I agree 100%. And I'm glad that Maxwell wanted to point him out along with the next name that we're going to talk about as well on our list, but specifically with Tucker, when you go and watch his film and you see, as as Maxwell was talking about the types of shots he was making, the deep range on his three ball, if he does uptick some of those percentages, if he finds ways to be more efficient inside the art tour, he can get that percentage up to 45, 46% from the field. If he gets that three point percentage up to 37, 38, 39%, on even better volume than what he was shooting last year. And you you talked about it, Stephen. He already had a lot of responsibility. You would imagine going into another year, that's just going to keep improving on him or building up as far as a workload. So if he can handle that volume and still bring those percentages up, why wouldn't he pop on, on people's big boards? And I do think he's one of these mid-major prospects that people need to, people need to be talking about. So... Mm-hmm. We're going to be bouncing back and forth between mid-majors, between non-Power 6 programs in these, in these lists. We're going to talk about some Power 6 guys, but speaking of the Power 6, let's move to a freshman. What? A, a freshman made the top sleepers list on this podcast? Yes, I could have probably thrown him in the under-the-radar freshman pod, but boys, we had so many names on yes. that freaking list. <laughs> like we, we had to find ways to cut it down and move some guys around. And when talking about Judah Mintz, I'm going to go back to Maxwell because I knew that we were, we were in our no ceilings group chat and Maxwell's just messaging us. Like, why is nobody talking about Judah Mintz? And some of the other guys, they gave you a little bit of backlash on that, yeah. but yeah, I thought that you explained yourself incredibly well as to what you specifically saw on the high school film and why we should be excited about the six foot three guard. He's a freshman coming in. As I said, he went to Oak Hill Academy his last year in high school. So this is a dude, he knows what real competition looks like. And you know, for a fact that 
a lot of the defense that he was playing at Oak Hill, it's going to have to translate for him at Syracuse. He's going to have to fit into that patented two, three zone or else he's not going to get some of the same opportunities that he had in high school. But from what I could see, I think he's ready to play that level of defense. And I think you do as well, which would be a reason why you like him. Give everybody the rundown on, on Judah Mintz and why he could be a real sleeper in this draft class. Yeah. So with Judah Mintz, it starts with the scoring. He's, he's six foot three and he is an absolute bucket. Uh, he can, he can really shoot from three. Um, but it's more so just what he can do off the dribble as far as like his pull-up shooting. Uh, he really elevates when he takes shots in the mid-range. Uh, usually you think a guy 6'3", uh, shooting mid-range shots, it can be tough for those guys to be tough shot makers when that's the, the type of size that you're working with. Uh, but he is just nasty, nasty, nasty in the mid-range. Uh, and around the bucket, he kind of compensates for the fact that like he's not totally an above-the-room finisher, but he could place his floaters really high, mm-hmm. uses interesting angles to finish around the basket to avoid length. Uh, he's, he's just got three-level scoring upside. And we've seen guys like Bones Highland, like these guys that just come in and can score at every single level uh, and really score off the dribble. And that's what Judah Mintz is, is bringing to the table. I think what separates him from a lot of those guys for me is that he can be a pretty capable passer too. Uh, there are definitely possessions where he will dribble the air out of the ball. And I don't think that's uncommon among this type of player at sure. that age. Um, but I don't think he's inherently selfish. And I think his floor vision is pretty solid. And he has, he has a decent understanding of the gravity that he creates when he's attacking. And if there's like an easy pass to make, he'll make it. Um, but I think there is, there's some playmaking that I've seen that goes a little bit above that. And that's where the one and done hope comes from is that if he goes to Syracuse and he's lighting it up and he's getting buckets, uh, and then he can just make those those nice passes and, and reads from time to time, he's really going to stand out. And it sounds like he's going to be the starting one, too. Like they they said, uh, Beheim said that Gerard is going to play the two spot now. Uh, so it basically sounds like this is kind of his his team to run, and he was getting comparisons to Johnny Flynn, which I know people think Johnny Flynn, oh, he's a bus, whatever. No, Johnny Flynn, Syracuse Johnny Flynn was an absolute beast. So mm-hmm. if if he can live up to that kind of hype and be four I inches taller, yeah, yeah, that matters and not have, you know, degenerative hip issues also. So <laughs> he, he can be a real player. Steven Maxwell sort of alluded to the question that I have regarding Judah Mintz, which is can he balance being a scorer and looking to get others involved? And Maxwell just said that that, you know. He's going to be likely the starting point guard for the Syracuse team. But when I talk about can he balance scoring and passing, that's not always he has to be the guy to to get that dime for everybody else. And that dime has to be recorded in his box score for me to say, oh, he's a good passer. I think it's more so it's the split between looking to score and being willing to pass, right? Pulling yourself out of some of those bad situations where you, you can force the shot. You can have the confidence to take it and maybe you'll make it but maybe it's also better to just bring the ball back out and and find somebody else or or keep it moving, not necessarily being an assist hunter. So that's, that's the split that I want to see from Judy. You kind of have the same feeling after watching his tape preseason. Yeah. The offense isn't really much of a concern for me. Like I kind of, I trust him. I think more at the next level as more of an off guard than I would say like a lead guy, even if he is kind of the, the, the point guard, the de facto point guard at Syracuse, none of the film that I watched like screams lead lead ball handler to me, you know, like 
I think that he's probably like a weak side shot creator. Like if the ball is whipping around you, you trust him to attack like a collapsed defense or an aggressive closeout because he is a capable shooter as well. So, and he's got the athleticism, I think that can translate to the NBA, but really I, I have a lot of defensive concerns with him, like competitiveness on that end. And a lot of the film that I watched and I think going to Syracuse really isn't going to either solve or, it, it might even like hide some of the the issues as well, which might be a, a strategic uh, commit for him because he's going to have a lot of people in that scheme to help cover up some of his fa- uh, flaws on that. I end. was going to say may, maybe maybe the zone maybe the zone's going to help him because as long as he's communicating frequently, right, he'll yeah. have the help that he needs within that zone. And then you get the argument that well, if he's a point guard or a combo guard coming off the bench, like how important is his defense anyway? When you know all of the defense is hinged upon like either a strong wing or a a shot blocking five in the NBA. Right. So there's a little bit of an argument on both sides, but when I'm looking at a holistic game compared to all the other guards in this class, like those are things that I think are going to kind of hem up Judah Mintz um, relative to his peers this year. So I'm, I'm okay with him kind of being in the sleeper range. Like I wasn't advocating for him on earlier episodes or anything like that, but I think that he could be a fine player over time. I just don't necessarily um, buy into the, to the one and done, but that's exactly what makes a sleeper a sleeper is like, even, even folks like me aren't necessarily looking at him in that, but he does have aspects to his game that are very intriguing. And he, it sounds like he will have all of the opportunity at Syracuse to certainly prove whether he can balance those responsibilities, become a better defender, prove that he is a capable outside shooter, not just off the dribble, but maybe even off the catch when somebody else is handling the ball. He's got a spot up somewhere else. These are some of the things I want to see from him. Um, and, and to your point, Stephen, I know some, sometimes we talk about guards don't always have to be these incredible on-ball defenders, but if, if we're evaluating you in a top 30 range, I personally would like to see a guard be, be somewhat of a problem at the point of attack for somebody yeah. else right that that's just how i feel but we're play we're passing lanes though. aggressively you know what i mean like you steph curry james harden like they have had a big still years by just playing passing lanes aggressively like something along those lines when when you don't have at least one perimeter player who can guard at a plus level at the point of attack and if all you're doing as a defense is playing Olay to the big man even Rudy Gobert got got played out of situations when that was the case. What arguably the best defender in the world, or at least one of them, one of was, them, yeah. was not tailor made for that style of defense. So yeah, that's why you got to have at least one guy. Maybe it's not Judamins, but you better be playing him next to him to somebody who can offer that sort of a threat on the defensive side. A guard who I'm actually buying in to a lot of the defense that I've seen. We'll talk about another high major player here. Pell Larson out of Arizona, the six foot five junior guard, playing 37 games last year, started in two of those games, just under 21 minutes per game, 7.2 points, 3.4 rebounds, 1.8 assists. So we can read off the box score stats. He wasn't playing a lot of minutes. He wasn't playing a big role within the offense, but he's going to have to make a jump this year. And it can be one of the situations... He feels like he feels like this Christian Brownish type player for me. Like he feels like the next person to sort of step through that line. This time it's just being done in Arizona versus Kansas. But I mean, he is an efficient player offensively, right? Almost 48% from the field, 36% from three, 81% from the line. 
low turnover player, all those percentages, they add up to a 61.7 true shooting percentage. So I'm buying into the defense, I'm buying into the shooting stroke. I don't know how much of an on-ball creator he's going to be, which was pro- is probably one of the deficiencies that I would point out between him and Brown. Like Brown was a really good passer in college. I need to see a lot more of that from Pell Larson, but I'm not going to rule it out for him. But that's sort of the type of player I could see him breaking out and being. Um, he, he's built really well. He's strong. He's tough. Steven, this is a guy I know you've mentioned his name. I know Maxwell's mentioned his name. And all, all three of us, we're in agreement. We really like him. And I think Rucker's kind of hopping on some of that train with us as well. What, what are some of your thoughts about Paul Larson and, and what's something that you want to see from him going into this year? Yeah, so I just love, you know, you mentioned Brown. I wasn't as high on him as a lot of the guys in no ceilings were, but I wasn't necessarily out on him either. And now we're watching him kind of have some big moments for Denver in the early going of this year. That, that think, competitiveness, oh, man, that that toughness yeah. that he displayed countless times at Kansas and now he's doing it in the NBA. And like Doesn't Arizona, want to get beat on defense. Nope. Arizona had a number of those guys last year and they're returning a few of them like Tubelas, who we're going to talk about a little later. Yep. Your boy, Benedict Matherin played with that same fire. Like that. Listen, these guys make an impact no matter where they are. Yep. And, and listen, like he, we already know that he's a bona fide cutter. He had to move very well off the ball on a loaded Arizona team last year. Like we mentioned Benedict Matherin, Justin Kier was on that team. And then also Dalen Terry, who we saw get drafted this past draft as well. So we know that he's going to be a great cutter. We know that he hustles. We know that he's got good touch based off of the shooting numbers and watching the film. He's an active defender and he does display some attacking ability off the bounce. And I think that that's going to be asked of him a little bit more with a lot of folks moving off of that Arizona program this last year. Um, I think with that attacking though, some of the areas of concern are does can he drive left at all? Like a lot of the times that I saw him drive was with his strong hand and that's going to be negated in the pac 12 pretty quickly. Um, He is very feisty and fiery on the ball, but I don't know how good of an athlete he is. Like, I'm not saying he's a bad athlete, but I don't know exactly how strong of an athlete he actually is. And then processing speed on the offensive end, This is just an area that I'm highlighting as like something that I want to monitor because he was asked to be more of a finisher. Like when he touched the ball, it was either finishing with a layup or shooting a spot up three. If he's going to be playmaking more, like how does he see the game? What do do his reads look like? He's going to have to show that ability at Arizona this year. So he's one of these guys that can swing either way for me. Like if, if all the connector pieces are as good this year as they were last year, and he can do some sort of like, offensive generation at all like this guy could scream up boards in a hurry and he plays mm-hmm. I've heard Rucker say this a bunch he plays much larger than he is I think he's only listed at like six five yeah but if you watch him play you would think he was like Dude, six, he seven looks like six, he's eight. like six yeah that's what he looks like out there yeah exactly so these are all things that I'm looking at but I'm I'm really big on our guy man I love Pell Larson Maxwell, what what are you looking for from from Larson this season? Yeah, I'm I'm like fired up about Pell Larson. I I went real deep into the film on him Thursday, and 
man, I, I just came out of it so excited. I think the biggest difference with where I see him versus where you guys see him is I'm actually really bullish on his playmaking. Okay. Um, okay. So, so, is it, so is it, is it more so the, so you just buy him as a much better quick decision maker, I think than I do. we're buying in right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think his like basic, just like skip passes and like reads and like extra pass, like that kind of basic stuff is good. Um, but that was a big question for me. Cause the big thing he's going to need to do is just take a step forward as far as like, uh, offensive role like he he, he, if he scores nine points a game again he's not going to be in the conversation uh so considering that i thought okay well what is it going to look like when he's taking on a high responsibility so i did seek out games we had higher assist totals. so obviously yeah the passing is going to be better in games where he has higher assist totals uh but i still really liked what i saw um all in all like his his vision is is pretty nice and he's you know smart with like cradle attacks and things like that and he again just a guy who understands his gravity when he gets to the rim um I think his ability to pressure the rim was like the biggest thing that stuck up on me. Uh, He's not a guy who you're going to throw it to him on an Island and he's just going to blow by a guy, but his pump fake into his first step is Mm. phenomenal. And when you can shoot like he does, he's going to have guys that have to close out on him and are going to be a little bit off balance. And that's, Uh, that's what Christian Brown didn't have last year right he 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 also lacked that explosiveness, but he didn't have the outside shooting to back up. Like he also didn't like to shoot when he caught it either. Like there, he yeah. had to dribble every time he caught like, the ball. Yeah. Like nuts. if you can't shoot, why am I going to hard close out on you? Right. Like you, you, you got to bring it to me, bud. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just thought that what he did when he got around the basket was very impressive. Like we might, we touched on the strength, but like guys meet him and he just kind of like bounces off of him and keeps yeah. elevating when he gets hit around the basket. Uh, but I thought some of his, his fakes around the rim, the ways that he, just leverage the, the help defender to, to get easy ones for his team is good. And then I watched some of the FIBA games of him too, or like the world cup qualifiers. Uh, and he showed some interesting mid range shot making in those games. Uh, I was really impressed with some of his passing there as well. He tried to do some more stuff with the left hand. It wasn't like crazy impressive, but like he yeah. did throw like a one pass. that was like a one-handed left-handed live dribble pass. It was okay. It like, wasn't the most accurate pass I've ever seen. Uh, but it really just, again, kind of like showed, all right, like the little things I was worried about, the the mid-range shooting, the playmaking, the left hand, it, it was a little bit better there. Um, so with him, I, I really just want to see a bigger, bigger offensive workload. And, and it's good that he's trying those things too, right, mm-hmm. Nathan? Like if mm-hmm. those are weaknesses and you're not doing them or at least trying to improve them on in-game play, like people are going to notice that. So I think that it's impressive that he's even trying that stuff. And that's what's fun when we talk about guys in the sleeper category or the breakout category, right? Like we're, we're talking about them. We're listing off their, their strengths or weaknesses, what we like, what we dislike, but really a lot of it comes back to these are guys who they're, they're returners all but Judiments that we're talking about tonight. We know what they can do, but how does that translate into a bigger role? The role that they're going to have this year. So we're essentially playing a game of projection where we're betting that these guys are not only going to get the bigger role, but that they're going to exceed, exceed and excel in it. And that's why they're going to jump up boards. These are guys who were buying the stock early, right? As, as, as Corey, we like to say, we're, we're buying low and we're hoping to sell high on these guys. So that's, that's what I love so much about this podcast tonight. So we're, we're all in on Pell Larson. Another guy who we talked about quite a bit, and no ceilings last year, Alex Amarante, yep. who also works with us at no ceilings did a wonderful piece at the beginning of the year about Taryn Armstrong, the Cal Baptist guard, who was 
tearing it up as a freshman last year, six foot five, 185 pounds, played in 26 games, 10 and a half points per game, 5.2 rebounds, 6.3 assists. And that's, those numbers indicate exactly the type of prospect he was last year. He was a lead guard, but he was your lead guards lead guard, right? This guy was being active on the glass, getting everything that he could from a guard's perspective, rebounding, trying to get out on the break, hit those quick hit ahead passes, get his team going in transition. And then when he got himself in the half court, he's not a guy who's too much of a scoring threat yet. He was able to get these passes literally anywhere that he wanted to get them, which is fascinating to me. Usually when we talk about some of the best passers, they have some kind of scoring gravity, whether, whether it's being a threat uh, with two feet in the paint, whether it's being more of a threat from the perimeter in, in Terrence case, he wasn't that much of a threat threat from either spot on the floor. He wasn't a guy who was hunting for all of this contact so he could get to the line to knock down a bunch of free throws. Cause he wasn't hitting his free throws at a high cliff either. Right. He could put some points on the board, but, and, and he had a few standout games scoring the ball, but really the majority of the season, it was about him making these ridiculous passes from these incredibly small and narrow angles because defenses would try and shut off those passing lanes as much as possible. He, he would still find a way to fit that ball in there. So that's, that's what really stood out to me. So Steven, it's, it's funny. We, we talked at some points about is Taron Armstrong, the best point guard in the country last year. And there were certainly mm-hmm. games on film. You could point to that. He answered that statement with a yes. I think overall, because of some of the scoring deficiencies, 39% from the field, 31% from three, 65 from the line, he has to answer those questions. But if he does, right, if he becomes a better threat with two feet in the paint, if he can hit on some of those open shots, like when he's playing that pick and roll game that he loves to play and defenses are sagging, they're going under those screens. If he can knock down more of those outside shots, we might be talking about somebody who takes a meteoric rise right back up boards where people would have had him in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s last year before he decided to come back to school, he could get all the way back up at the top 30 and keep climbing this year. So, but what do you want to see from Taron Armstrong? Well, I, first off, I just want to start off with in doing some research for a piece that I'm going to have releasing on Sunday. You'd be surprised how many quote unquote shooters shot around 31% or worse and are still projected to still got drafted or projected to do great things in a, in their returning season in college. So I'm not going to knock Mr. Taron Armstrong for a low shooting percentage, especially since he's coming back. Um, big believer in the playmaking and the vision. I mean, at his size, he's not like, you know, giddy where he's six foot eight or anything like that, but no, but six, six foot, five still, you can six see foot over five, six foot six is still a heck of a perspective. Uh, for your lead guard to have. And I think that, you know, it helps give such unique passing angles that otherwise you're not going to be able to take advantage of. He plays with a lot of bend, you know, his, his attacks off the bounce and things like that. They're, they're so much fun to watch. He can get to those Steve Nash, you know, attack the baseline wraparound passes, which are really fun, you know, no look whip passes to the opposite side of the court it's so much fun to watch. And I was really surprised. I know his brother also plays for Cal Baptist. I was really surprised that when he came back, he stayed because I think there would have been a number of high level programs that would have been like, all right, dude, like, let's get you in here. And we'll, we'll, we will ensure that you get drafted. If you play for us, he's betting on himself. He's playing with his brother. I love that. I don't even necessarily think he has to get drafted this year. Right. But if he can improve as a shooter, 
and he can improve his strength and playmaking, you know, combination to where he can he can either finish scoring or pass out of traffic a little bit more with uh, consistency and accuracy, he's going to end up being on draft radars regardless. So um, despite him not being a plus athlete, I still think that he gives enough, you know, creation on the offensive end to where he's going to be a name that, you know, NBA front offices have got to monitor throughout the year. Maxwell, what do you want to see from Taron Armstrong this upcoming year? I want to see him do more as a scorer off the dribble um, because he's such a sharp decision maker and he's not one of these high assist guys uh, that like it's somebody who did research for no sun turn. There's so many guys that post high assist numbers that just are dribbling the air out of the ball, looking yep. to, and waiting until the shot clock is at three so that they're well positioned for an assist. That's not Taron Armstrong. Uh, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal quick thinker and decision maker he's just got to find a better way to pressure the defense because with what he does right now, like he's already so great at setting the table. Um, But if he could just pressure teams more when there's a pick and roll situation, like you said, and just force guys to go over, or even if he can, you know, get that Chris Paul, like mid range pull up game working. uh, That's something that could be there for him. I think it is interesting. And obviously like everyone's not their siblings. People are different than their family members, but his brother can really shoot. And yeah. part of that makes me think, like, why not? Why not Taryn? So uh, that that's the next step for him is, I think, just developing some sort of scoring game off the dribble because we're ultimately talking about a guy at Cal Baptist who scores 10 points a game. And guys that score 10 points a game in the conference don't normally get drafted. And, and the passing is really special, but he's got to find more ways to pressure the defense outside of his passing. Speaking of prospects who need to improve their threat from the outside and really improve their their scoring threat overall Jalen Worley another guard who was on my radar at Florida State six foot six 200 pounds did not get a ton of opportunity last year the shooting splits would also bear that out but when you did get these these small amounts of film with Jalen Worley we know the defense is going to stand out this man can be one incredible defender in the backcourt. You know he's being coached to be such going to Florida State. He is a steals maker. He is a transition guy. He is a passer and a finisher in transition. Obviously, the half court, we're going to need to see some offensive improvements from him. But my question for Mr. Maxwell, there was another guy once upon a time that Steven actually already mentioned in this podcast who was viewed as a defense first guard who had tremendous size for his position, who had tremendous length for his position. He just needed to refine enough of his offensive game and his decision-making to where it allowed the defense to really pop and shine on film because he was able to play a big role. He was able to play more minutes for a really good team. I think Florida State has the chance to be a pretty good team in the ACC this year, and if that's the case, why can't Jalen Worley's stock explode out of nowhere like J- like Dalen Terry's did last year. Why why can't that happen for somebody like him? So talk to me about your thoughts about Jalen yeah. Worley. Is he on your radar? What are some of your thoughts about his game? He is. He's like not in draftable range heading into the season, but like he's on the cusp of it. If if he can do some things as a scorer, he'll be there. Uh, great, you know, good first step. Long. He's bursty. He covers ground so well, and he's really smart about how he helps off the ball as a defender. He's good with just swiping, getting back, not losing his man. Um, I, I was just really impressed though, by some of like, some of the skills he showed is a finisher, given that his like efficiency splits were really bad. Uh, but he, he can finish with both his left and right hand already. 
Uh, he's stronger than he looks. He can pass one-handed through tight windows. His, his lobs are accurate. So you look at his ability to pressure the rim. He can finish with both hands there. The only thing that's missing is just jump shooting. And mm-hmm. Florida State's track record, I feel like, is kind of miss, like hit and miss when it comes to shooting. Like they have a lot of guys who are big, long, defend, and know how to shoot, but or and know how to uh, to to play make. But you don't always see like big jumps it, with shooting. But mm-hmm. shooting, I feel like historically is one of those things that it tends to be easier to, to pick up and improve upon. So that's all I'm looking for from him. If he can just become an average outside shooter, I think everything he does is a playmaker, a finisher and defender is there. So that's all I'm really looking for this season is can he score more efficiently? Steven, do you want to see some of the same things with Mr. Worley? Because I, I agree with Maxwell in a lot of respects. I think the biggest thing for him is just confidence being able to grow into a larger role. Like, right, if he, if he becomes a much more confident offensive player, we know what he does in transition. I think more of that can translate in the half court. He could be much more comfortable getting downhill, banging with some guys, being able to, to hang and finish like Maxwell talked about around the basket. I think it's just the confidence that really needs to come up for him. But if he, if he embraces the fight at Florida State, why can't he be a riser? It's it's really interesting, Nathan. Like, I don't know what the pecking order for Florida State is going to look like this year. Like, we know historically they're a deep team and they're going to play a lot of guys. But with Baba Miller, you, we, we're talking about Worley here. Matthew Cleveland, another guy who could be end up being a sleeper because he was a name that a lot of folks were high on last year. And then this year, there are still people that think that he could do a little something. I, I still like um, I still like his his partner in the backcourt, Caleb Mills. I still exactly. like Caleb Mills as a shooter and scorer. And, and so you got all these guys on this team. Like, where does Worley fit in? And if he's if he does have that confidence, he could step up and be that kind of point forward, kind of like two way wing player that I think a lot of people had him pegged at originally. So with the playmaking, the size, the skill ratio. He's, I would say he's a good, not great defender, at least last year. Like if he can hone in on that with another year at Florida State, like I don't, I don't think that he'll get worse on that end. So if anything, sure. he'll probably get a little bit better. I just, that the shooting touch has got to be there. And Maxwell, we talked about this on a, a couple episodes back when we did our 30 questions for 30 teams. When we were talking about Cleveland, we talked about Isaac Okoro, right? And he's a player that if all he needed to really do was add that, was at that jumper and I think that sometimes teams can fall victim into that mentality that that the shot is always easier some players it is like some people pick it up really quickly but I mean that could be the difference between Jalen Worley being like an Isaac Okoro or or you know would be cool Jimmy Butler right or or Kawhi Leonard so those are the two completely type of different developmental paths that we see for these players that don't necessarily come into the NBA with a jumper but I I don't I have Worley as like an early to mid seventies on my board right now. He's definitely in one of those like wait and see ranges because there is enough there with the creation and the size and athleticism, which, which by the way, very that's, intriguing. That, that's a fair range for, for a lot of these guys like you're talking about, because when we say sleepers, yeah. we're not trying to talk about somebody at 35 mm-hmm. is a major sleeper in the NBA draft, right? Like these guys are all in the, in the fifties, sixties, seventies, you know, they're, they're back, but there are, yeah reasonable outcomes to where these guys could all of a sudden be like oh shit we have to rank them in the first round so yeah if you stare at them long enough you can see a path to where they can (laughs) get higher up on your boards for sure 
Absolutely. And Stephen, I, I know that you're going to say the same thing about Trey Alexander, mm. the Creighton guard, who we're going to move to next six foot four, 187 pound sophomore averaged 7.4 points per game last year, 3.7 rebounds, two and a half assists played in 35 games for Creighton and played almost 27 minutes a night. So he had a yep. legitimate role as a freshman for a good Creighton team, 42% mm-hmm. from the field, 81.8% from the free throw line, but 28.1% from three. So as you, as you said, uh, a lot of these guys we're talking about, like we could name um, role within the offense is something we want to see more of, obviously, as they grow into another year, shooting consistency is something that we want to see from these guys. But really when you break down all of the film of what this man can do inside the arc with how crafty he is with some of the up and unders, he can do the, the occasional post-up if he has a matchup at the guard spot, like, this man has some real shit in his back. Mm. And to me, the question is, can he become an average spot-up shooter to set up more of all of that stuff that I just talked about? His finishing around the basket, getting those lanes to actually get downhill, to be able to make some of those dump-off passes. He needs to be able to get to those spots by bringing out defenders to him because he's not this overly impressive athlete who's going to blow by every single person he goes up against. So are you buying in enough of the shot to where he can be average to open up everything else? I'm sure you're going to talk about with this game. Absolutely. I think that the the three point shot is an aberration from what we're going to see for him moving forward. I I'm a believer in the shot and looking at Creighton this year with how their young guys are stepping up into more sizable roles. They bring in a guy like Shireman. Like there is just so much, you know, that team is loaded. They're, they're going to be so good, man. And like him at the helm, like running pick and rolls with, with Brenner and with, and with Kaluma, there's going to be so many different reads that he's going to be able to take advantage of. Like there's a little bit of Nimhart in his game and we just saw him get drafted in the second round. Right. So I think if he can continue to show to be an intelligible playmaker, he has such a nice handle, man. Like his court vision is right there. The shot off of movement really gets me going too. So I think that, Learning how to be a standstill shooter with the bag that he already has, I think will be a, an easier transition for him because he's not a guy whose game is based off of pure athleticism. It's based off of skill and IQ and understanding. So I could see his transition into being a, a better spot-up shooter, being a little bit more uh, achievable. But again, if we're talking about negatives, right, like he can really force a shot sometimes with that shot off of movement. His defensive rotations leave a lot to be desired. And because of his size, he's not going to be as switchable at the pro level. So it's really going to pigeonhole him into a couple of different types of roles. I have a top 60 grade on him right now. Um, I'm really big on my guy. I love him a lot. I think I love his team a lot. And I think that he's going to have a really big role in the success of him. I am curious to see how that defense comes out for, for creating that perimeter defense. Cause that, yeah. that could be a, a Swiss cheese backcourt and yes. we, will, <laughs> we will see what happens with, with when those guys get funneled into the front court. Uh, Maxwell, you buying stock in Trey Alexander? I am. Yeah. I, I really liked him early in the year last year before things were clicking as like a three years away kind of guy. And now like the way he played down the stretch, it's, it's very possible that he's in the mix this year. Uh, he is top 60 for me headed into the year. A uh, big part of that last 10 games of the season, 12.2 points, 4.5 rebounds, 4.3 assists. Uh, also at 33% of his threes down the stretch. 
the way that he in like I've been right about it my Jalen Hutchifino article but like the way he shoots mid-range pull-ups just gives me so much confidence in the fact that he's going to be able to, to hit threes consistently um I really love the way that he manipulates defenders in the pick and roll not even just to like get a big on himself but to recognize like oh, I've got a small on my big and I'm going to back out to the perimeter. I'm going to throw the ball into my man and I'm going to locate away from my big man. Yep. I'm going to give him space to cook yep. this smaller that's, defender down That's low. that Jared Butler type stuff that, that yeah. I absolutely loved with him and I can see myself falling in love with it with, with Trey Alexander as well. Yeah, for, for me, so I buy the shot. So my concern with him, it's it's two things. It's, it's defense and it's rim finishing. He's got mm. to pressure the rim in a more meaningful way to create a little bit better. Uh, he's not super vertical. And the other thing with him too, like when we did the playback for the Giga Ignite game, we talked a lot about Scoot Henderson's angles at the rims and the way that he'd protect the ball on the way up. He did, Trey Alexander doesn't do that. He, he really lets his shot get blocked and affected way more at the rim than he should. Uh, so that's something he really needs to clean up. And then defense, he can take really sloppy angles around screens, doesn't navigate them that well, even on the ball. Uh, so like that's an area he's really got to polish up and they're going to have Ryan Kalkbrenner behind him, which is, yep. you know, a, a big relief. But like we talked about with Gobert, it doesn't matter how good of a room protector you are. If you've got nobody else on the court, if that's really every single to, to person well, is leaking so. the guys through like, yeah, like what, what are you yeah. going to do? So just for, 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 for a Mateen standpoint alone, he's got to work on that. Uh, but for Mr. Afsock as well, for me, it's just how he does defensively, how he's navigating screens on defense and what he does at the rim. All right, Maxwell, I can't, not go to you with somebody who shares the same name. Yeah. The player we're moving mm-hmm. to next. We're going to talk about some wings here. Maxwell Lewis mm-hmm. out of Pepperdine, six foot seven, 195 pounds going into his sophomore season. Listen, the, the numbers aren't quite going to pop off the screen with you from accounting stats perspective. The shooting percentages are good. 42% from the field, 36 from three, 80% from the line. That suggests this man can shoot. When you watch the tape, man, can this guy shoot? Mm-hmm. Not only can he shoot, we're talking about somebody who, in some of his best highlights, I mean, he's hitting pull-up shots. He's hitting post fades off of wing defender. Like th- This guy has the three-level shot-making package that you want to see from somebody who's six foot seven. Yeah. But my question about him is, Maxwell, can he be a go-to option on a legitimate NCAA tournament team? Like, that's... <laughs> That's what we want to see. Like we we've seen, I've seen examples now of all the different types of shots that I see from some of the best scores we have at the next level. Can he do it consistently? And can he do it more volume with much more pressure from the defense because he's the go-to guy? Where where are you at on somebody like Maxwell Lewis? Yeah. So I am really intrigued with Maxwell Lewis. And like before I I got to know ceilings, like one of the proudest things I ever did was write about Maxwell Lewis and have Chad Ford give me a tip of the hat for it. I was like so fired up when that happened back in the in the bound boards days. But yeah, so Maxwell Lewis is a guy I've had my eye on for some time. I I love his his tools and some of the things he can do as a scorer right now. Uh like you said, three levels really explodes at the rim, uh has a little bit of like mid post to him. And a legit three-point shooter, great off the catch, but also like hitting off sidesteps and things like that. And the way he attacks, it's six seven. His hips and shiftiness going downhill. He, mm-hmm. he kind of moves like a guard when he attacks with the ball at times. Uh, and on defense, same thing. He rotates well. If he needs to rotate, he's going to get where he needs to go quickly. That being quick off the floor again, 
super important when it comes to help side rim protection. He's, he's, he's active on the defensive end. The big thing with him are the turnovers. This guy turns the ball over a lot. And the most common reason is he plays very sped up. I don't think there was a player in the country that had more. I caught the ball and got too excited and took three steps before dribbling type turnovers. Than <laughs> to to, to that season. point, if you would average out his numbers per 36 minutes, mm-hmm. it's going to be almost four turnovers per game. So yeah. That's, yeah. That's a lot. He, he just, he get he needs to just slow down off the catch. Uh, once he's moving, go as fast as you want. When he's putting the ball on the ground, he's headed toward the basket with a head of steam. He's lightning. Like he's awesome. He's just got to take a second and be composed normally with so many guys. And this is part of the reason why I'm optimistic on him. Actually, we talk about how they need to make decisions quicker. They need that 0.5. They need to be ready to go with Maxwell Lewis. I want to see the opposite. I want to yep. see him just like take a breath sometimes and, and be a little bit, you know, more, more poised. Um, the other thing with him too, that, that bothers me is I feel like he should be a better rebounder given his size and athleticism. I really want to see that uptick, uh, especially because last season, Pepperdine, their post defense and their rebounding were just really poor and they would play team. They were the youngest team in the WCC, like substantially. And they would be in games of teams that you play them tight and they'd fall apart in the second half. And it was almost always rebounding and post defense and, and guys getting easy looks at the rim. He can, he really has the tools to help out in that area. So I'd really like to see him do that as well. But the turnovers are like mm-hmm. point, like the biggest thing. You cannot be turning the ball over that much and, and play a role in the NBA. Steven, if you thought that I was going to come to you and not give you an opportunity to plug your own handiwork, you'd be dead wrong, my friend. I needed to include at least one Pepperdine player on this list because you wrote about another one. You wrote about Houston Mallet, who is also a potential draft prospect in 2023. So I'll just point the question to you like this. Which one of those two guys do you like better as a prospect? You like Maxwell Lewis or Houston Mallet? Go, go ahead and, and plug your thoughts on, on both, my friend. I like Houston Mallet more. But okay. I also have like a top 50 grade on Maxwell Lewis. Like I think that he is a an NBA player right now. Um, I I like the the creation that Mallet has as far as like for himself and what I think is going to be for others. I think that he's going to have a substantially larger role in facilitating this upcoming year based on what I've read and what I and what I've seen like as the season progressed. But Maxwell hit hit it on the head with Maxwell Lewis, man. Like the shooting, the tough shot making, the athleticism that this guy possesses. He is a quick riser. That's one of the things that I put in my notes as well. I think, though, as good as he is offensively, athletically, it's weird how on the defensive side that it almost like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. <laughs> and Mr. Hides it, right? Like the lateral wiggle that he has on the offensive end, like it doesn't translate to to his defensive rotations. And maybe that has to do with like, processing the game on that side of the ball at such a young age like maybe he just needs another year of like learning and development but I think that it will translate and his handle is a little bit loose at times so to me when I'm looking at someone who can do the things that he does and the handle isn't there I kind of envision him more as a four in the NBA because I think I think that that's going to be like his bread and butter and being a spot up four who can do the things that he does and with improved help side defense help side defense this year like he could be a real problem for teams and when he gets minutes in the NBA so I like him a great bit even though I have him like on the later side of my top 50 
I kind of have to check and balance my feelings sometimes because I can be biased with some of these guys that I like a lot. So I kind of have him on that latter end, but I could easily slide him up to like the mid to late thirties, early forties range. Like it's that thin of a talent differential to me. I think he's going to be in the first round at some point this year. Oh, I really do. Okay. Now, whether, whether he stays there and whether he actually gets drafted in the top 30, we'll find out. But I think amongst consensus boards, if I were to put together a big board tracker, which I, I do for us behind the scenes, I'm going to try to keep that together for no ceilings this year. But if I were to average out everybody's rankings, I think Maxwell Lewis is going to be a top 30 guy at some point. I, I really do. I, I buy into this Pepperdine team. I think they're fun they're awesome. for all the reasons you talked about with both yeah. of those guys, Steven, there's a few other guys on that team who I think are going to have good college years at the very least. I'm, I'm all in. So I'm buying big stock. If it can happen with Orlando Robinson out of Fresno state, then there's mm-hmm. no reason why Maxwell Lewis can't get top 30 buzz at some point. That's right. So I got to go back to you again, Stephen, because it's Woo Pig time. Woo Pig, this let's is, go. Your, your your boys, Ricky Council the fourth, Arkansas player, transfer in from Wichita State, six foot six, two hundred five pounds, played in twenty eight games last year, started in seven of them, twelve points per game, five point four rebounds, one point six assists, forty three point seven percent from the field, thirty point six percent from three, eighty four point nine percent from the line that that's one of the higher free throw percentages we've seen from a few of these guys we've looked at who quote unquote can't shoot Mm -hmm. he's got pretty good touch from the line to indicate that he can 1.1 steals per game almost a 20 per and 55.6 for shooting percentage so steven we know about the athleticism and the bounce for ricky council right like you you can go on youtube you can see some of the in-game dunks you can see some of the dunk contest stuff like we we know what type of athlete this dude is at six foot six but how much shooting can he provide for a team that desperately needs floor spacing? I mean, we, we addressed this at length when we talked about Nick Smith Jr. and how great of a guard prospect he is. But given how little of room there's going to be for him to operate potentially because defenses are just going to be able to crowd into the paint, make those mid-range shots harder without other guys spacing the floor, it's going to make his life potentially a living hell. So – can Ricky Council, one of these sleeper prospects who I've seen in enough top 40s at this point, I've seen his name in enough top 40s, top 50s, can he be one of those guys who comes in, provides a little bit of relief for those Razorbacks, and maybe by doing so, jumps right into potential first-round conversation or, or close enough to it? I don't know if he's going to get that high. Um, but I think that he can generate some buzz. I kind of have him in that Jalen Worley range where it's like, I see a path. I just, I'm not there yet in terms of grading him against some of the other guys in this class, because I mean, listen, he's got great size. He's got a great pull up mid range game that I love a lot. He can attack closeouts with the best of them. And I think that once he gets inside that three point line, there's not really much that he cannot do. Um, But when I look at him, as a three-point shooter, Maxwell, I'm curious to see what you think about this. He has such a weird lift in his shot, too. It's just like, I don't know if he's trying to do the exactly the same thing that he does from closer to the basket, just further out. But to me, it just does, it's not working, you know. And when he does get inside, the contact finishing is kind of another area of concern that I have. And going and playing in the SEC compared to Wichita State, like that's a whole nother type of athleticism that he's going to have to contend with. Like 
Johnny Broom, Charles Bediaco, like the list goes on and on. There's going to be no shortage of of big men that he's going to be lined up against on it. Colin Castleton, like I could go on and on Damian Collins. There's going to be a lot of big Oscar sheep. There's bigs, bigs, and bigs that he's going to have to try to finish up against. I'm concerned about how he's going to be able to do that. If he gets fouled, I'm not so concerned, right? Defensively, um, dies on screens, which is really concerning for his size and the position that he plays. He's going to have to compete, especially at Arkansas, who is going to be a big team positionally across the board. Like some of their lineups are, they're going to be giants out there positionally. And I just, I have concerns about what his role is going to be on this team. Like, is he going to start with Nick Smith Jr. and Anthony Black with Jordan Walsh on the bench? Or does Walsh kind of play like a small ball four and like have a garbage man role with, with counsel out there on the wing. I, I think he Anthony could. Black. And, and I'd venture to say, I think he should. Right. I think that would make his life a lot easier development wise. And then you got Brazil out there too. So like talk about an ultimate switchy, like nasty lineup that no one's going to want to dribble the ball full court up against is going to be hell for him. But I don't know. I think council has enough off- offense in his game. And it, with Musselman being like one of the ultimate like college player empowerment coaches, I think that he's going to highlight his strengths well. So I think that he did transfer to a great university. There's just the three point shots got to be it, man. Like that's really it. And if he can improve on his defensive fundamentals. Maxwell, where are you at on, on Ricky Council? Yeah, so he was another no stone unturned guy who I like picked and then a bunch of people got really into him like before I could hit publish. And it's like, oh, well, all right. Uh, I actually kind of came out on him like sort of lower than where the consensus was. Like, I think he's a real NBA prospect, but I do think there's some serious problems. Like Steven mentioned the shot. It's interesting. If you look at the shooting numbers, he's actually really good on threes off the dribble and he's bad off the catch. And he has like what I call the Josh Christopher shot where it just tracks up the wrong side of his body. Like he's a right-handed shooter and the whole motion is up his like hip dip up the left side and over. Is it, is it all mechanical? Is it shot prep or like, are there's tweaks he can make there as well? I think it's mechanical because off the dribble, it tracks more up the center of his body. And those are the shots that he hits. So like, to me, that's, that's like my best guess. I'm not a shot doctor, but that's what I feel like it is. Um, I think he's like surprisingly crafty as a driver. Uh, I mean, we got like, obviously, again, we've touched on the athleticism, but like he was throwing in some Euro steps and other things like that. Uh, he can really play make for himself because of what he can do as a scorer off the dribble. And again, like the rim finishing is not good, but he gets there a lot and he goes to the free throw line a ton uh, just because he's, w- he's willing to deal with the contact at the very least. There's like, if you squint, there's some Keon Ellis there. Um, the other thing I really want to see from him though, is just playmaking for others because right now, like I mentioned, he, he can do it for himself is passing the placement isn't always there. Like there'll be someone who's pretty obviously going to get in a passing lane and he won't account for that. Or he'll throw a pass. that doesn't have enough zip on it. He'll be way too lazy with post entries at times. Like I just want to see him tighten up the playmaking for others. Cause he took such a big step for himself this past season that I think it's, it's doable. Steve, uh, Steven, any, any other thoughts that you want to throw in about Ricky council with what some of Maxwell said? No, I, I think that he kind of touched on a lot of the same things that I was talking about. I just, again, defense and three-point shooting. Like, if you're yep. going to be a wing in the NBA, like, you get, you got to do at least one of those things, good to great, and you got to be passable on the other one. So, I'm hoping for the best for Arkansas, man. We know they're going to be a too. fun team to watch, but the, he he's going to be part of that depth that I think really needs to come alive for them if they want to go all the way and, and possibly win a championship together. A player on another SEC squad who 
Florida is going to be pretty damn interesting this year. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I have some, I have some words about Florida coming out and in one of our conference previews that we'll be publishing on those ceilings over the coming week or two. But Will Richard is, is a big reason about why they're going to be interesting. The six foot four, 206 pound wing, 33 games played last year. He was a transfer in 30 games started 12.1 points per game, six rebounds, 1.8 assists, 47% from the field. 32.6% from three, 80% from the line, two stocks per game, 21.6 PER and a 58.8 true shooting percentage. Maxwell, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on Will. I want to know what you mm-hmm. think about this guy because he he wasn't on my radar in the slightest last year. And then our good friend Simon Rath, Hawks Draftner, was like, no, yeah. no, no, no. Everybody has to pay attention to this guy. He's going to be one of the highly sought out for transfers on the market and between him and Johnny broom, it was like a contest of like, where are both of these guys going to go? Who's going to snatch them up. And he decided to go to Florida. And I think that's an interesting fit defensively for the team. Like now all of a sudden they have defensive firepower everywhere. Like I would not want to have to play Florida this year. And he's going to be a big reason why, but to the defense, as well as the offense, what do you see from him? What are you intrigued by? Yeah, so I, I like I'm not a comps guy, but there's a lot of Josh Hart in, okay. in Will Richard. Oh, um, I love that name. Yeah, I do too. Uh, he's six five. He is tough as nails. Like tough, tough, tough as nails. Uh, rebounds like a big. Played. I've watched a ton of Belmont between like just interest in Will Richard and, and Ben Shepard over the past several months, and like this guy is he's like a real four It's six, five. Like they would play major conference teams. He would play the four because that's what he played at Belmont and he would guard those guys. So you have no problem with it just due to his strength. Um, and the way that he rebounds, like that's where the Josh Hart comes in. And he's a real solid shooter too. Um, the shot, like he had like a really bad dip in the shooting at one point during the season that kind of buoyed his percentage a little bit. Uh, but ultimately I buy it long-term. Uh, it's a quick trigger shot. It's pretty, it's textbook looking. Um, but yeah, otherwise he's also a really good finisher. Uh, he makes the extra pass totally unselfish. Um, he's going to work to get blocks on defense. He's got a good nose for that. He works to recover when he gets beat. Uh, he's just a guy that competes and, and has a lot of necessary skills that make modern NBA players in a pro body already too. Like the, the strength is, is real with him. Um, my biggest, like, oh boy, we've got to work on this is because he's strong. He's a little bulky. And when he has to chase guys around on defense, he doesn't look too great in those settings. Um, the other thing is he gets a little stat hungry on defense okay. at times. Uh, this man has a fever and the only prescription is helping off the strong side corner <laughs> to try and get a block. He's really got to work on that. I don't think I, I saw a player like it's a real prospect that cheated off the strong side corner more uh, than Will Richard this past year. Uh, so that that's like an issue. He'll get off his feet too easily uh, to try and get a block. But fundamentally, like the rest of it's there. It's just like one of those things he's got to hone in. And he's a young player. And given just how hard this kid plays, I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to like reel that in when he's when he's coached to do so. I mean, making the jump from mid-major to high-major like he has and doing it in impressive fashion, Stephen, where he was one of the most sought-out transfers on the market, period. Like, I have no doubt that if he can make that sort of a leap in one year, now give him the span of two years, and he could really pop on a lot of NBA radars. Where, where are you at with Will Richard? 
I love Will Richard, man. Like I, I flirted with having a draftable grade on him last season. You know, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed his game a lot. And I think his transition going from Belmont to Florida is going to be interesting because he's going to go from a university where he could literally do whatever he wants. Like he was clearly the best player on the team. He can oh, gamble. I, with it. <laughs> I he, was, he was the best player on this team uh, last year, in my humble opinion, and um, could really do whatever he want. And um, by and large, it worked out for him now that he's going to have to play along some other guys like Kawasi Reeves, Colin Castleton, Alex Fudge, baby, I'm going to have Fudge fever again this year. Like the traps that he and Fudge are going to be able to put on people. I don't know if it's going to be Tori East and Alex Fudge good, but it's still going to be good. It's still going to drive people nuts. Offensively, he's got to just be more disciplined, you know, like the shot selection by and large has got to be more disciplined. The shot efficiency has to be more disciplined and getting others involved, I think is going to be um, more fun for him. I think that he's going to actually get his, uh, you know, the ball movement up because of the the talent that's going to be around him. Like he and Castleton, I think are going to have some fun pick and roll action together um, in SEC play this year. So if Alex Fudge can space the floor a little bit this year, like Florida could be a scary offensive team if Will Richards is just allowed to cook. Speaking of scary offense, Kobe Brea Let's out of go. Dayton, 6'6 guard. What, th- this is one of my guys, man. 35 games played last year, 8.1 points per game, 2.9 rebounds, 0.8 assists. Th- those, those numbers aren't going to jump out of you, just like some of these other guys. These are players who were expecting to have much expanded roles. When I say much expanded roles, I mean – I, I want to see Kobe Brea try and be the, the lead scorer for Dame this year. I, I think he can do it. I think this man is an absolute bucket. 44% from the field last year, 42.3% from three, 62% from the line. That's a little scary. These guys who shoot high percentage from three, but don't convert the free throws to back it up. That, that's a little scary. But if he becomes a better finisher around the basket, I'm buying all the mid-range pull-up game. I am buying all the three-point game. If he can finish better around the basket, get to the line a little more frequently, knock down more of those free throws, there are going to be few things that can stop this man from being one of the more complete scorers in all of college basketball and could be a massive, massive riser in NBA draft circles. That's how much I believe this kid could really climb this year. Steven, I know that you like Kobe Bryant too, I think I might've shocked you a little bit with some of the words that I just said, but where are you at with Mr. Brayett? You didn't shock me at all because you know, you were the one that kind of turned me on to him, man. And it's just like you introduced me to him and I'm, I'm hooked, man. I I love his size. He just moves so well for being his size. Like he moves like an NBA wing already. Just watching him play basketball. It's like you, you just notice immediately that there's something special about this guy. Defensively, he has active hands. Um, I wish he would stay in front of his man a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball, but I think that he can, like, he's still a young guy, like improving defensively. Sometimes it just takes years and years and years of practice. Yeah, and beyond, I think the on-ball stuff is definitely lacking. Yep. But he could fit into a team construct defensively. And that's, you know, if you could be an offensive engine, that's more than okay. Right. Which by uh, the way, they're going to have one of the best shot blockers in the country, arguably in Deron Holmes backing him up. So absolutely. So, you know, it just kind of like cleans up for a lot of his errors. Right. 
I want to see if he can handle more, like if he can initiate offense, like that's going to be something that I'm monitoring because listen, we already know that he's a shooter. His off ball movement is so pretty. Like it's like he and the ball handler are attached to a pole. Like they're like foosball players to where (laughs) you move the pole and like, they're going to stay that same distance away from each other. And he just spaces the floor so beautifully. Um, His mid range game is there. He can shoot off the catch or off movement. And again, you know, if he can if he can work on the handle and if he can finish through contact, like you're talking about a complete total package yep. score and no NBA team is going to look at that and be like, no, nah, I think I think I'm OK. I don't at think his I size want to draft. as well. He's yeah, not like one of these like six two, six three guards who we're talking about, like, yeah, he can score the ball. But because we have all these other questions and he's smaller, like we're going to pass on him. Like, no, he's he's six foot six, 206 pounds. He's a big boy. Nathan, is it crazy? that I get like weird Clay Thompson vibes from this guy. Is that crazy or not? Is that crazy? Tell me I'm yes. crazy. If I'm yeah. crazy. Yes. Yes. It's it, yes. It's crazy. But okay. Listen, I think it, it, if it's in the sense of Clay Thompson can get astronomically hot and just hit every single shot he makes, Got I would it. never buy Kobe Brea. I would never buy anybody have the consistency that clay thompson's had through his career but if we're talking about just that aspect the the microwave shooting ability to hit like five six seven threes in a row and like literally out of nowhere i buy that for kobe Bryant. i think his confidence is, is through the roof so that you can talk me into maxwell i don't know you you seem a little surprised up there with with what we're yeah. talking about what where where's your skepticism i like i hate to be the debbie downer like especially on the sleeper spot i just like that's okay man that's i just don't really see it this year with kobe brea i i I think the biggest thing for me is i don't think the opportunity is going to be there like there are just too many guys coming back on this team i think i mentioned last spot like deron holmes i think is taking a big jump i thought malachi smith was tremendous as a freshman and is going to have a ton of responsibility again is still there a uh, Kamar, yeah, Kamara's still there. Uh, Kobe Elvis had some games late in the season where he got really hot and like played really well. So I just don't see the usage uptick coming from him. I think if anything, and he's he's smaller than this guy, but like I see the Cole Swider path for Kobe oh, Brea. Okay, of just like hey, like junior season, like real solid yet again, still not taking a ton of twos, and then senior year. Maybe he gets that more more bit of responsibility, shows some more stuff, and then kind of like ends up on a two way type thing. So what I you're just, saying is Kobe Bray is eventually going to be on the Lakers. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Future saying. Laker okay. Kobe okay, Bray. Got it. Got it. Um, no, he like, might I, play for the Lakers this year. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could, honest. Like, gun to your head, Matt Ryan or Kobe Bray. Um, Come on, so you, know, you, know, you know who we're going with. So yeah. So so I I again I really like the shot. I thought some of like the stuff he did show when he went inside the arc, like his sort of like Dirk fadeaway that he'd do over smalls was, was pretty cool. Love his, like, again, not just a catch and shoot guy. Love the pump fake and sidestep uh, defensively. Yeah. I'm not crazy about him on the ball, but I think his instincts and in mind for defense is pretty good. Just so for a guy would pick up the ball and he'd be like, Oh, I will now deny my man the ball because that mm-hmm. guy can't dribble like little stuff that like college players still don't do sometimes. Like it's, it's there for him. He, he has a good understanding of the game. I just don't see a way that he really pops this year. I, I hope I'm wrong. Like Dayton should be a ton of fun on paper. It would bring me like, I'd get so much joy out of this dude scoring like 14 a game and just hitting 46% of his threes and going crazy. I just don't really see the opportunity this year. 
All right, we're we're gonna have to keep this podcast filed somewhere. We will we will see who ends up on mm-hmm. on the right side of the brave. That's why we're a special show, man. Because like we bring like we don't just all talk about dudes that we're all in agreement with. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I love it. And and we also we we all keep the receipts, and we have no yeah. problems admitting <laughs> our wrongs from those receipts. So I I, mm-hmm. I love that too. Steven, you watched a lot of Arizona basketball last year, mainly yes, because. You, you were just so in love with Benedict Matherin, which we all should have been more in love with Benedict Matherin, but that's okay. See, we, we keep receipts. Yeah. We admit our wrongs. It's okay. It's okay. He's arguably going to be rookie of the year. I think I picked him actually to be rookie of the year over Palo. He's off to a great start. But in playing with Benedict Matherin, you had a number of interesting players. You had Kirk Risa. You had some uh, Pell Larson, who we talked about. You had... Azulas Tubelas, who we're about to talk about right now, the six foot eleven, two hundred forty-five pound big man, fourteen points per game, six point two rebounds, two point three assists, fifty-four percent from the field, twenty-six percent from three, sixty-seven percent from the line, one point eight stocks, a twenty-four point four PER and a fifty-seven point eight true shooting percentage. Steven, what I want to see from Tubelas, I think. All the rebounding stuff is there, the motor stuff, the hustle, the tenacity, the strength, the ability to score from the inside, some of the outside touch. I just want to see the efficiency really come up. I think we've yeah. seen examples of all the different pieces, but if he's one of these guys who's going to have a true shooting percentage north of 60, now you're going to really start to sell NBA teams like, oh, He's not just the guy who's going to die for a few loose balls and come up with it and make those kinds of plays for your team, which it's important. You always want to have those types of guys in an NBA locker room who are that tough, who are willing to do anything to win. But now you're telling me that he's also going to be a legitimate offensive force along with the passing flashes that we see off the dribble, along with the, the, the inside finishing that we've seen, along with some of the open three-point making. If you're telling me he's doing those things, but at a much higher clip, that's what I want to see from Tubelas to possibly pop into that first round territory. Cause there, there are enough fans of him, I think in the second round, but what can he do to get up in the top 30? That's what I want to see. True shooting North of 60%. What do you want to see from Tubelas? Well, I have a, a top 30 grade on him right now. Like I love to Wow. I'm, so he's already there for you. Okay. All right. He's already there for me, man, because listen, he's competitive and fiery on defense on the defensive side of the ball. He's more athletic than you were probably than you would assume, like after just watching him play a couple of times. Like if you watch him holistically throughout the game, like he does some fu- he's white. I'm gonna say it. We're white. He's a sneaky athlete. Like <laughs> it, you don't expect it, but it's there, right? So I, I I got the elephant out of the room, right? What I love is the combination of post play, which still has a place in today's NBA, but I also love what he can do on the elbow. Whether that's like put the ball on the ground a couple times, do a couple little crafty things to get himself a bucket. But he is like tailor made for NBA offenses where he can operate out of the DHO. I love the freaking passing flashes, man. And yes. the, yeah, the DHO game that you just made. Yeah, I love that. Because listen, a lot of bigs, they'll typically just hand the ball off on the DHO. But Tubelis can do the thing where like the guy doesn't get the handoff and the defender rubs off of him. And he'll just pass over the top for a dump mm-hmm. off. And if you can do that at his size, that gives an offense such a unique wrinkle that it's hard to game plan for. And it's even harder to execute against. I love the the thought of him operating out of DHO sets. 
or even playmaking out of the post where he takes a dribble power bounce draw like the gravity because of how strong he is that's going to come to him and be able to find an open guy that's the type of that's the extra stuff as an offensive big that NBA teams are going to want from you that's that's why I want to see the percentages come up though because if he's a 60% finisher around the basket now you're talking about oh we have to throw double teams at him now all those other windows are open for him and I want to see Arizona run him at the five. Like I don't know if it's going to happen too. because yeah. they got Ballo on that team, and I have concerns about him um, mobility wise. So I would love to see Tubelis get the get the chance to run and play make as a five on this Arizona team because of all the other players that they're going to have around him. So just the 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 extended shot I think is a given, right? Like he he didn't have the best efficiency from shooting outside. I think that the touch is there. I think it can be extended. I just want to see him play at the five and I want to see the offense run through him. I think that that would be so much fun. Maxwell, I'd, I'd be a little surprised if you also said you had a top 30 grade on him because I, I, I don't, I'd be a little surprised about that one. But if you do happily explain where you have Azulis Tabellas. Yeah. I don't have him that high. I do have a draftable grade on him though. Cause like you said, like the things he does now, like def, I think definitely make him a second round guy. Steven touched on it. The passing, uh, the sneak, the sneaky athleticism, our favorite, our favorite thing in the draft community. Um, but I was just really impressed with how he defended last year. And there's a lot of search queries that I like to run on Bartorvik to just find patterns for success. And Tubelis comes up on a lot of them already. And like Nathan said, that one thing that's missing is usually either three point percentage or true shooting percentage. Like the, like the, his numbers go crazy in just about every other area right now. He just needs to hit that shot more consistently. I was disappointed because I thought he was going to do it last season and he didn't. Uh, but everything else in his game is, is just so polished. And I think that we just underappreciate the fact that this guy's six eleven. Yeah. He's always he been the massive. four. He's always been the four, but he is so big that I think if we can see him at the five, I think it would really just further drill into people's head how skilled this guy is. And again, just give people an appreciation for the fact that this guy does not do poorly when he's switched out. Um, yeah, I, I just really like his game. Steven, just nail on the head. I agree with every single thing that he said if, about him. Uh, I really like his feet. And I think that if, if we get to see him prolong minutes at the five, it's just going to really pop for people. If Kentucky can play Nate Sestina at the five and win games, Arizona mm-hmm. can play freaking Tabellus at the five. Yeah. That, that, that's my argument for, for that. We talked about sneaky athleticism with Tabellus, our last guy that we're hitting on tonight. There is nothing sneaky about his athleticism. Jacob Toppin is a monster athletically, six foot nine, 205 pounds. Uh, listen, again, nothing sexy about the counting stats. 56% though from the field, 40% from three point range. Yeah. 75% from the line. All right. You you have me interested. A 60.3 true shooting percentage. We know he can be a defensive playmaker as well. Some of the blocks that this man can get are absolutely ridiculous. Steven, given that a lot, given that a lot of his offense, especially his shooting, was on low volume, what kind of a leap can Toppin make with more opportunity? And how much better can he get on defense, particularly? as a help defender and weak side shot blocker. Cause I think if those two things come together, it can be the perfect storm of somebody who a lot of people have forgotten about because he's an older player. Now he's a senior at Kentucky. So it's not like he's only a sophomore 
coming around like Damian Collins. We just want to see more opportunity from him. No, Jacob's older with much more expectations, in my opinion, on this Kentucky team. There's Casey Wallace. There's Chris Livingston. There's Oscar Sheebway. There's some of the other guys who we know about. But really, if this team's going to get to where they want to go, which is a Final Four or a championship game, I think Jacob Toppin has to make a leap. Corey believes he's going to make a leap. I think some of the other guys in No Stillings think the leap is possible. I'm also going to buy into the leap. I'm not going to say this guy can get up the first round conversation, but if you're telling me he's like a sneaky top 45 guy at some point, it, it would not surprise me because of the talent that I do think is in there. The opportunity is probably going to finally intersect for him at the right time. So what do you think about Jacob Toppin? I think I'm more in line with you, Nathan, to where if he does climb up boards, it's probably more in that like 45-ish range. Like I don't have a, a second-round grade on him right now. Um, because Which is fine. He, he has to prove things to some people, absolutely. Right, and he's in the sleeper range, right? So listen, athleticism there. I, he He's primarily going to be a lob threat, right? Um, he's a willing screener, which I like a lot that he's – that he can – that he commits to setting a good screen, right? And he moves pretty well off the ball too um, for for being a forward, right? I think though what really could help him is if I trusted him to put the ball on the ground really much at all, like that really hurts his uh, grade for me, Um, which if you can't drive or attack whenever, uh, if all you're doing is uh, being on an island on the corner offensively as a shooter or being a lob threat, you're easily negated, you know, as an, as an NBA player. Right. So I'm um, in the perimeter defense, like him being able to switch out. I'm less concerned about the help defense as I am in, in him being in like an, a man to man situation and being asked to switch out onto a guard. Like that's the defensive concern that I have because I think help side is going to be there. I'm interested to see how he and Livingston kind of coexist as like the forwards on this team with Oscar Sheway going to undoubtedly be, camped out somewhere around the basket um those two I think are going to rely a lot on each other probably more than a lot of people are anticipating I think some people are looking at like the Wallace or the the Wheeler marriage with um with top and I think it's really gonna be how do he and Livingston coexist and play off of each other Maxwell we, we've already seen top in action during the preseason right like some of their their overseas runs he was mm-hmm. he was hitting outside shots he was hitting yeah. shots he was very active on the offensive end he was making those plays on defense like he he looked like the guy who knew that he arrived and he's ready to take over more of the mantle for Kentucky so are are you buying into what we've seen in some of the preseason tape or are you more so no, you, you kind of believe who we saw in his junior season is who is going to be. He's got to prove it to me more. Yeah, I think, I think I'm like somewhere in between. Like I'm okay. definitely way more excited and definitely will have closer eyes on him going into the season because of what he did in these preseason games. Um, and then going back in the film, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of really positive stuff there. It's the similarities of him and Obi are that they are both very good end to end. They're both above the rim finishers, uh, really powerful two-footed leapers with good body control at the rim. Um, I think some of the stuff I like a little bit better about him is I think that I do, I think he's like, I put like fairly comfortable switching down. Like, it's not like, oh man, he's got a guard. I feel great about it, but it's like, nah, he'll, he's okay. If he switched mm-hmm. on to somebody smaller than him, that's, that has got some quickness. Um, I like, I like some of his passing angles. I think he's a little bit more creative than I'd realized during the season. Um, Steven mentioned the handle. I'm like, I, that is like, 
where I get really nervous with him is that and the willingness to take threes. Uh, it's like he was hitting him in the preseason, but last year he took like barely over one three per 100 possessions. And that wasn't a team where like, like he was parked behind the three point line quite a bit. It wasn't like, Oh, well they just had him under the basket. Like that wasn't necessarily the role. Like he, he could have taken more threes if, if he felt up to it and he didn't. Uh, and then he had a handle. Like I am just not crazy about him putting the ball on the ground. And when you think about like some of the things he does, like his speed, his athleticism, I'm a, a, a I'm not like crazy about his passing. Like, I don't think he's, you know, Jokic or anything, but sure. he's a pretty capable passer. Um, things like a handoff situation where he can, you know, maybe burn the guy if he comes up too close to him and gets to the basket. If his handle is iffy and he's in the half court, like that kind of stuff, then it, it it's not there for him uh, at the NBA level. So I want to see him be a lot more careful uh, and on top of his dribble. And I want to just see him be willing to take those threes. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. We touched on a lot more names, the, the number of prospects we continue to cover on these podcasts amazes me. Um, we're, we're going to be back next week, same time, same place on this feed with, I believe we're going to be doing some G league ignite as well as overtime elite conversation. Now that I've been down to Atlanta, the facilities, Steven will have been down there by that time. So we're going to have some interesting notes about our trips and, and our takes on that program, as well as the scoot Henderson's of the world. And we're going to have all those fun. It's, time, it's finally time for us to talk about Victor Womanyama and scoot Henderson over the following two podcasts. So I, I can't wait for that conversation. But in the meantime, thank you all for listening to this episode of the No Ceilings NBA podcast. I guess I have to say that now. Draft Deeper, part of the feed. We're finally here. But you can find me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can find Maxwell Baumbach on Twitter at Boards, And you can find Steven on Twitter at Steven G Hoops. We all are going to have plenty cooking for No Ceilings over the coming weeks, I think. The majority of what we're releasing for our start is going to be a lot of group pieces. We're going to have all of our conference previews out. We're going to come together for a big board some point soon, as well as a preseason mock draft. So keep your eyes out for all of that content. I do have a column that's going up the same day this podcast is coming out, a 5,100-word banger on what I saw at Overtime Elite. So definitely make sure you're locked into NoSillingsNBA.com, that you're subscribed to make sure that you're reading all of my thoughts and getting some insight on what I think about the overtime program and the prospects that I saw as a whole. So thank you all again for listening until we meet again next week. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. 